the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Later, Crusaders. America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here every Saturday. Hope you're having a good weekend so far. Um, I want to start off here. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason for this, but I want to start off on a high note here. I'm sure you've, we've all heard of you know, people running through gunfire to save someone's life. We've heard, we've heard stories like that, whether World War II stories, Vietnam stories. Whatever. But I've never seen it on video until a couple days ago. The video is on our Facebook page. Please search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. It's the first post up there. It's the top post. So there's this guy in Mosul. There's a giant tank. Two other Americans are with him. The video is 25 seconds. The, the main guy here is standing there. All three of them are technically, but the, 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 they're waiting for the enemy machine guns to stop. And when they do, he starts to run out into the open. And the two other guys come out from behind the tank and they start shooting to a place we can't see to cover for him. They're shooting at these ISIS guys. So this guy runs off in the distance. You, you, you can't see him for a second. Ten seconds later, he comes back with a little girl in his arms. Incredible. It's stunning. It doesn't, you can't, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, but it's not a movie. It's real life. That's what is so amazing about it. So the backstory is he's in Mosul uh, near a destroyed Pepsi factory. Here's what he says. He says, quote, there was a woman sprawled on her face, dead, a baby all shot up, dead near them. Two old people dead. And then you realize all those lumps of rags were kids. They were all killed by ISIS. And he's looking off in the distance with these just piles of, of corpses. And he sees a little movement. On, on the link on our Facebook page, there's a picture of this. Just a, there's a wall and a pile of bodies next to it. And a little girl standing in the middle of the bodies. Ready just to be picked off by another ISIS sniper. And that's where he runs. He runs in the middle of harm's way and saves her life. And the amazing thing is, this happens all the time. Americans are doing this time and time again every single day. There's just no video of it. So no one knows. There's a scene out of the the book Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield, which I think is required reading in the uh, academies, the military academies. It's about the Battle of Thermopylae. All right, so you got Xerxes and and, uh, Leonidas, the uh, Persians versus the Spartans. And in this book, uh, one of the Spartans, he thinks he's dying. He ends up living, but he thinks he's dying. And he says, the only pain... That's worse than dying was knowing that no one, none of the 300 men, if you've seen the movie 300, that's what it is. He said, the only pain worse than dying is knowing that no one would survive to tell their story. No one would be able to survive and go back and tell their family and tell the, 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 the history of these 
300 men and what they did to defeat 20,000 Persian soldiers to save Western society as it was still in the cradle of its existence. He says even he said that pain was worse than the physical pain. And I hear that and then I think of all the amazing things that men like David Eubank, he's the man in the video, all the amazing things they've done around the world, the lives saved, and no one knows. No one knows. Which is fine, they don't care. <laughs> They're not doing it for the glory. But it brings me hope that this one, because this one happened to be caught on tape, just knowing that there's many more moments out there that, that aren't. Please go to our Facebook page and look at it. It is, um, it will short circuit your brain. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. You'll look at it and say, you'll watch it five or six times just because you can't, your brain can't comprehend what you're watching. I'm, I'm being, I'm being serious. Let me share another military story while we're here. This one's not on video. This one doesn't have a happy ending. The USS Fitzgerald. That was the uh, the the ship that the container in, in Japan, where the container ship just collided into it. Right, seven sailors died. Seven American sailors, and we maybe later in the show we can talk more about the, the some of the men who died here. But one of them was from Vietnam, one was from the Philippines, one from Guatemala, and one from Japan. Amazing, right? All Americans, all sailors. The most senior of the seven, his name was Gary Rem. He called these sailors on his ship. He didn't call them shipmates. He didn't call them his brothers. He called them his kids. And the stories that are coming back, it's believed that Gary saved the lives of 20 sailors. All while saying, if my kids die, I'm going to die. He never had any kids of his own. His kids, he had the Navy. So this is just based on different bits and pieces I've I've come across. This is the, the best I can describe it. Have you seen the movie Titanic? Do you remember when the iceberg first hits the ship? And it cuts to this scene in the bottom of the ship where you have all the men shoveling coal into the giant furnaces, right? In the engines, right? And the water's coming in. And they have to close the doors, these big metal doors. They have to close them in order to prevent the water from continuing to you know, get inside the rest of the ship, remember? And the doors are closing slowly. And some men, they dive and they, they make it through. They get, they get their foot through just in time before the door closes. And some men are just uh, two seconds too late. And they get stuck. And now this area is closed off and then they, they drown. It looks like Gary Rem went into the area that he knew was going to be closed off, helped sailors get out, and then they had to close the hatch before he was able to make it back out himself. To save the ship, they had to close the hatch, but that meant that anyone was still left, anyone who was still left behind was going to die. Gary Rem repeatedly went back into this area. To save more sailors. He was three months short of his retirement. 
Now, it's worth noting that the USS Fitzgerald is named after William Fitzgerald, who in Vietnam was in a compound with a bunch of civilians, and the Viet Cong attacked. So he and the other Americans there, they provided cover fire while the civilians escaped. The only way that they could escape was a, a river behind the compound, and they got in these small boats and they sailed down the river, and the Americans, including William Fitzgerald, provided cover so that they could, they could get out. And finally, there were only three Americans and himself remaining. And he told the other three to get in the boat. He would cover for them. So the three got in the boat. They left. He stayed behind. He covered for him. And he was killed. So William Fitzgerald's final act of his life was saving the lives of all these civilians and his fellow Americans. Which is pretty much the exact same thing that Gary Rem did. There is a tradition of service, a tradition of laying your life down. Thank God for it. one 888 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. This is Mike Slater. Let me, let me just take one more second and explain the, what I mean by your brain will short circuit when you watch this video of the former Green Beret running through gunfire to save a little girl's life. It's surreal. That's the number one comment that people are writing. It's surreal to watch. It's breathtaking. We live in an a incredibly selfish culture, and we see selfishness everywhere. All over the place. We don't even realize it anymore, right? But what, like House of Cards. You watch House of Cards? All right, it's like number one show on now, right? What is it? It's just selfishness and narcissism. I mean, it's just, you're just, so you're just bathing in this stuff all the time. It's all over the place. So here you watch something that's the opposite. Total opposite. And we so rarely see that so clearly, so obviously. And it causes you to stop in your tracks. And that's why I say you have to watch it a couple times because it doesn't it doesn't make sense. You can't compute it the first time you watch it. So again, search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. You can check it out there. Um, I want to steal a little wisdom here from Brett McKay and give him due credit for compiling these sources. I just think it's all worth passing on. Uh, it's inspiring because, and I think it's important because um, a lot of people come to him. He says, especially men in his 20s and 30s. And say they feel like teenage boys walking around in a grown man's body. They don't feel like mature men. I think the reason for this is this this postmodern mindset we have that we need to find ourselves. Right? And we need to 
we need to get in the right mindset before we go do anything, before we go do the thing that we know we need to go do. We gotta, we gotta like be healed and whole and centered first. That's a lie. You just need to go do it. Do it, then you'll feel it. You can sit around and ponder something for your entire life. You're never gonna feel ready to do it until you just do it. There's a psychologist, her name's Meg Jay. She specializes in, in men this age. And she said she had a conversation with a 27-year-old who was living in his parents' basement. And he said, it's weird. The older I get, the less I feel like a man. The older I get, the less I feel like a man. And she said back, I'm not sure you're giving yourself much to feel like a man about. She says, Sam had it backwards. The way he saw it, he could not join the world until he felt like a man. But he wasn't going to feel like a man until he joined the world. So he finally got that, moved out, started a relationship, got a proper job, and then magically started to feel like a man. You have to go do it. Then you will feel it. I think we all know that's true, but here's a little ancient wisdom uh, to, to prove this. So three stories. First, starts with Moses. I, I, I'm sure we have some Jewish friends listening. Uh, probably someone listening now who can speak some Hebrew. I cannot. But in the Torah, you got Moses standing atop Mount Sinai, presents the people with the stone tablets, with the law inscribed on them. And the Hebrews responded back in unison, Naish Vnishma. And it means we will do and we will understand. And you hear that and you think, wait, hold on. That's backwards. We w- so they say we will do and we will understand. Meaning we will live the law first, then we will understand it. We will live the commands and then we will understand why. That's the opposite of our culture today. For us, it's all about why. I'm not going to do this thing until I find out why you're telling me to do it. And then I'll decide what I'm going to do. And, and, most, and the, the Jews are like, no, no we're, we're going to do. And then we'll understand why. We're going to do first. Totally backwards from our modern culture. Second story, Aristotle. The Nicomachean Ethics. It's all about how to live, uh, live a life, a good life full of virtue. And back then, all of his fellow philosophers thought that you had to think about virtue, pontificate about virtue, to understand them. And Aristotle said, no, to be virtuous, you have to act virtuous. Again, flipping it, go do. He said, but the virtues we get by first exercising them, right? we, we get them by doing it. And he says, this isn't that hard to understand. This is what we do with everything, says, for the things we have to learn before we can do them. We, we, we learn by doing them. Like men become builders by building. Liar players by playing the liar. Right? You, you, just, you don't think about learning to play the guitar. You go do it. And the more you do it, the, that's how you like, right? And he says, so too we become just by doing just acts, temperate by doing temperate acts and brave by doing brave acts. Uh, I can't do that. I'm not brave. No, just go do it. Then you'll be brave. Finally, Teddy Roosevelt. So Teddy Roosevelt, when he was born, was a uh, 
Well, growing up, he was a frail child. And his dad whipped him into shape and said, son, you are smart, but you're not going to go anywhere in this world unless you have a body that can match your brain. And then he just dedicated himself to working out and getting tough and became a baller. Uh, if you're looking for a book to read, I recommend uh, River of Doubt. Pretty interesting. It's about Teddy Roosevelt. So he he ran he served two terms in the White House, left, spent eight years traveling the world, going, you know, on safaris in Africa and shooting big game and doing cool things. And then he came back and he decided to run for a third term of president, but got crushed. What even close? And he was crushed emotionally, spiritually. And he's like, I gotta go do something cool. So he and his son actually went to explore an unknown river in the Amazon. And think about that. Like we can't even wrap our head around that. Like an unknown river in the Amazon. Like, huh? And he almost died multiple times along the way. It's just a crazy story. Just a little comparison sake. Barack Obama, when he was done with his term, spent a couple weeks on a yacht with Oprah. Teddy Roosevelt almost got eaten by cannibals while exploring the Amazon. <laughs> a little a little different. Anyway, uh, he said there were all kinds of things I was afraid of at first. Ranging from grizzly bears to mean horses and gunfighters. But by acting as if I was not afraid, I gradually ceased to be afraid. So whether there's a project at work or just something you're afraid to do, you don't think you can do. Uh, yes, you can. Yeah, you can. Just go do it. You can do it. And I, and I look forward to to raising my son, Jack, to understand. Um, you know, there's a new book I, I haven't read it yet. I just got it. But I talked to the author, Leonard Reed. What's it called? Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Sorry. Leonard. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. It'll be worth it. Leonard Reed. This is the son of the guy who wrote I Pencil. Sorry, I thought it would just pop right up. Thrilling Radio Slater. Come on. Uh, I can't find it. Sorry. I can only type with one hand. Long story. Um, so he has this book about, and it's, it's an anthology of 40 different people who have done incredible things, who persevered, had great courage, and all the rest. And of the 40, I've heard of like four. <laughs> like I've never even heard of these people. So I, I look forward to getting this book. There's full of stories who, uh, of people who knew that you had to act virtuous to be virtuous and you had to act unafraid to be unafraid. And as the goddess Nike said, just do it. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. The goddess Nike didn't really say just do it. Those other quotes I just shared were real. That one, that one wasn't. All right. I want to come back. Uh, we got a couple free speech stories that I want to share today, including some, I think really good news out of the Supreme court. And actually the headline of drudge right now is that justice Kennedy might retire, which means Trump would have another uh, another pick. I read the article. It seems very rumor mill, and, and he's been talking about t- retiring for a long time. Um, so who knows if he really will. Uh, but they're talking about how he may announce it soon. But um, that would be pretty awesome. And people say, you know, how's Trump doing? I don't care what he does from this point forward, but he got Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. That's huge. And if you get another Gorsuch-like person up on the Supreme Court, then that is a complete game changer. And that's why Republicans voted for Donald Trump. Anyway, um, Really, really strong First Amendment court. 
And there were a couple free speech cases that they voted on or ruled on this week that I think is worth going over and talking about. So we're going to do that later. But what I want to talk about coming up next, have you ever said or have you ever heard anyone say, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater? Have you heard people say that? We got to get back to the source of that quote, because once you know the full story and the context behind that quote and who said it, you'll never say it again. We'll do that next. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Sorry, I couldn't find the book on the spot there a minute ago. It's called The Real Heroes, Inspiring True Stories of Courage, Character, and Conviction by Lawrence Reed. I haven't picked it up yet, but uh, it's on the way. And I, I think it's good. We talked to him the other day, and he was, he's pretty great. Uh, and I love this review from Dennis Prager, who's awesome. He said, we need these stories. We need to read them to our children and our grandchildren. Real Heroes by Lawrence Reed. Look forward to it. Uh, so I'm sure you've heard people say, uh, or maybe you've said before, I know I have, that you can't falsely yell fire in a crowded movie theater. So we're going to talk about some free speech stuff coming up in the next couple hours here. Uh, some really promising, I think, Supreme Court cases uh, regarding freedom of speech happened this week. So people use that line about you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. They use that line when they are going to make the argument that it is okay to put restrictions on speech, right? So they're going to make some argument why it's wise and progressive to put a restriction on freedom of speech. And they invariably will use that argument. They'll say, oh, well, I mean, I, listen, it's okay to put a freedom, uh, you know, put a restriction on your speech because, you know, you can't shout, shout fire in a crowded movie theater. So it's like, well, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Because, you know, they say that and then they say, well, because you can't shout fire in a crowded movie theater, I mean, clearly you can't say that gay marriage is wrong or you can't talk about Islamic extremism like that because you're inciting hate and panic just like you would if you yelled fire in a crowded movie theater. It's like, "Mm, no, that's not, you don't know what you're talking about. So this quote came from Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. Now, if someone knows that, then they'll write, usually, as Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said, you can't blah, 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 blah. And they do that just to give it authority, right? Because, oh, a Supreme Court Justice said that. Oh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, that sounds like a fancy name that I've heard maybe once or twice. So clearly he's a genius and whatever he said goes. How about some context here? So that quote comes from a case called Shenick versus the United States, 1919. The very short of it is the chair of the Socialist Party of America wrote a pamphlet against the draft. I've read the pamphlet. It's really not that bad, right? You're thinking what the, the Socialist Party of America would put together something pretty crazy. Mm, now, whether you agree with it or not, it's, I mean, whatever, but it's not that crazy. Like the arguments are pretty basic and honestly, nothing that you wouldn't hear from Bernie Sanders today. There's nothing more aggressive or egregious or seditious 
than than that. But Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes concluded in this case and two other similar cases that it was in the same year actually that anything that infringes on the war effort in any way whatsoever is illegal. The two other cases people went to jail for I think 10 years because of what they did. So Holmes even concluded he went pretty far. He said that even marching against the war or asking someone to march against the war interferes with the war effort and therefore is not protected speech. You can't do that. He said collecting signatures for a petition is against the war effort and therefore that's not even protected speech. So he went all in. And that's where he said you can't shout fire, falsely shout fire in a crowded movie theater. Now, to keep his crowded theater analogy alive, the cases... These three cases were not people shouting fire in a crowded theater. They were people whispering to the person next to them. Is it a little, little warm in here? I'm going to take my, I'm going to take my sweatshirt off. Oh, espionage act. You have no freedom of speech because you're crowded. It's like, whoa, whoa, what? He went way too far. Says who? Says he. The next year, he realized how wrong he was in these cases. And in a bit of mea culpa, he had another free speech case where he completely flipped his take. And it's in that case where he spoke of the, quote, free trade in ideas. He said the best test of truth is the power of that thought to get itself accepted into the competition of the market. That, at any rate, is the theory in our Constitution. It is an experiment. As all life is an experiment. Every year, if not every day, we have to wager our salvation upon some prophecy based upon imperfect knowledge. While that, while that experiment is part of our system, I think that we should be eternally vigilant against attempts to check the expression of opinions that we loathe and believe to be fraught with death. So he told, that was a year after he said, oh, well, listen, you can't, anything against the war effort. No, no, you can't, you can't say that can't do that can't talk about that can't think about that a year later he says oh we got to be free to come on totally totally changed his tune a year after he said you can't yell fire and 50 years later i think it was 50 years the supreme court completely overturned those original three supreme court cases um in uh, the case called brandenburg versus ohio so those three supreme court cases where where supreme court justice oliver wendell holmes ruled against freedom of speech they were completely overturned so people who quote this line, they don't know that. <laughs> they don't know anything I just told you about that. And again, when they say, well, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said, what they're really saying is, here's a smart sounding person who agrees with me. But that same smart person, Wendell Holmes, it should be noted, tried to uphold a law that would force sterilization of certain people that the government deemed unfit. He actually wrote in a Supreme Court case, quote, three generations of imbeciles are enough. Now, I say that last case just to prove that Supreme Court justices are humans. They're flawed. They're not always right. Just because you could start a sentence with Supreme Court Justice, whoever said, that doesn't mean that what you're going to say next is true. It doesn't mean that everything they've said is truth. 
what they said could be very, very wrong. And if you use that very, very wrong thing they said to justify what you're going to say next, chances are you are also very, very wrong. Because as I said, anyone who quotes that fire in a movie theater line follows it up with some reason why they should be allowed to silence you. It's some reason why you shouldn't be allowed to enter your idea, your opinion, your thought, your reality into the marketplace of ideas. That's what the only reason to ever use that sentence. So make sure you never use that sentence and don't let anyone else get away with it either. Now, you know, the rest of the story. 1-800-7, excuse me, 1-888-900-3393. We're going to do some more Supreme Court stuff next. Sorry, in the next hour. Maybe the second, third hour, I'm not sure. But coming up next, yeah, let's do it. Let's spend a couple minutes on Osof. Just a few minutes. The, that's the uh, Georgia congressional race from the other day. So I, th- I just want to give my assessment on why he lost. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about it, and uh, I haven't heard this argument. But I'm sure we have some Southerners, Southerners listening now who will attest to what I'm going to say next. I'll share it coming up. one 888 Mike Slater Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. love Iran, by the way. Uh, for a couple of years on my local show, we'd have Iran on every Friday. Uh, a incredibly smart man. I value his opinion um, highly. So I definitely recommend listening to his podcast. He's, he's really great. Uh, so just a couple of minutes on this Osaf thing in Georgia. So why did he lose? Why did the Democrat lose? The people are given a lot of answers. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth through a lot of it. I, I, tying him to Nancy Pelosi is an easy one. And that's a huge weight that a Democrat, that a person has to carry with them. So my first radio job was in Tennessee, Jackson, Tennessee. And when I was there, we ran out of town, a Congressman who was there for like 30 years or something. Uh, John Tanner was his name. He's a blue dog Democrat. So he, the blue dogs are supposedly more conservative Democrats. I don't even think there are blue dog Democrats anymore, but to run him out of town, we just tied him to Pelosi. I mean, he tied himself. He tied himself to Pelosi. He voted the same as her ninety-eight percent of the time. So he would talk a big game for all these decades and, and present this aura of being some independent blue dog Democrat in the South. But ninety-eight percent of the time, I mean, we might as well have had Nancy Pelosi representing Tennessee. And to the people of Tennessee, and I'm sure the people of Georgia, Nancy Pelosi is just represents San Francisco. And San Francisco represents Satan. So, I mean, it's just like a super easy tie. And I think that is pretty damaging to a Democrat. So the Republicans just compared Ossoff to Pelosi, which was easy to do because a ton of money was coming from California for that race. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. But I think the biggest reason why he lost that no one's mentioning is, and I'll just be honest, he was living with his girlfriend of 12 years. So people are making a big deal that he didn't live in the district. He grew up in the district and he, he, uh, 
he used to live there, but he moved out because his girlfriend was going to med school at Emory, which is, I guess, a town over. And he wanted to be close to her. So he moved in with his girlfriend um, near, the, near the med school. And people made a big deal about the fact that he wasn't living in the district, which honestly, like, I don't know if that'd be that big of a deal for most voters. Because he grew up there and all the rest. But it's why he wasn't in the district. I promise you that if he didn't live in the district at that moment because his wife was in the hospital and he wanted to be closer to her while she was in the hospital, that's not a problem. Or because it's Georgia, if he didn't live in the district anymore because he wanted to live closer to his favorite duck blind or favorite hunting spot, I don't think that would be a problem either. It's the why. It's the why he didn't live in the district. He had a girlfriend of 12 years. And I still think George is old-fashioned enough where if you date someone for 12 years and you haven't popped the question, what's wrong with you, boy? I think it means something's not, uh, something's not quite right. Man up. I was dating my wife for a year in Tennessee. Before all Southerners are telling me when I'm going to pop 12 years. No. Second, in the South, you don't live with your girlfriend before you're married. Certainly not before you're engaged. That happens, obviously. But it's nothing you say outright. And not if you want to run for Congress. (laughs) If you just want to do it, it's fine. But if you're going to run for Congress, you can't be saying you're living with your girlfriend for the last 12 years. So look how embarrassing that. Well, do I, have, mm, I only got time to play one. All right. So he, it was, it obviously was embarrassing. And this is obviously a thing because on CNN, he was asked when he's going to pop the question to his fiance. And he's like, Oh, well, it's a personal question. And then a couple weeks later he did. It's like, Oh, okay. That's true love. Right. So he's like, like goaded into proposing to his girlfriend for political points. Like, give me a break. I think that plays very poorly to the people in Georgia. Second point is people in the South put a major premium on experience. I think in California and Silicon Valley, especially youth is valued, but in the South experience is valued. Now this guy was put up, this Osof guy was put up by a bunch of party elites, by a bunch of people in, um, uh, you know, DC and, 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 and California where the, they saw a fresh young face. But I think in the South, I don't know if that's valued. Experience is valued. And they played this ad here. Let's play this here. This is uh, 1549. This is an ad that they played. It's hilarious. And I don't know if it comes across on the radio, but we'll play it here and I'll, I'll describe what's going on. John Ossoff really wants you to think he's ready to be in Congress. I've got five years of experience as a national security staffer. There's just one problem. Ossoff wasn't exactly fighting against terrorism. He was fighting against restrictions on cake parties. You see, Ossoff was just a college kid doing things like dressing up with his drinking buddies and pretending to be Han Solo. I'm Han Solo, Captain of the Millennium Falcon. She's the baby who ran four kegs by Dops under three parsecs. And here's Ossoff and his college buddies making fun of Georgetown's female students.
John Ossoff. Not honest, not serious, not ready. Sorry, Johnny, but the truth strikes back. Congressional Leadership Fund is responsible right, so for the content of this the whole thing. The whole video is footage of him in college dressed up as Star Wars characters. The scene at the end is of him or someone in a Darth Vader helmet, no shirt, having a lightsaber duel with himself in his dorm room. <laughs> like that, that is a crushing commercial. I don't think political ads make that big of a difference, but that one is that obliterated him. The, the Republicans who came across that footage were like, oh, okay, we got this one wrapped up. Like <laughs> In Georgia? Now, again, in Silicon Valley, that wouldn't make that big of a difference. People are like, oh, what a cool guy. Like He seems like a cool guy I'd like to hang out with. In Georgia, it's like, oh, boy, I don't think so. We're not, what do you think you're going to? No. So he lost for uh, a lot of reasons, I'm sure. Mostly, though, girlfriend for 12 years, living together. Star Wars geek, not a winning combination in Georgia. Way to hold strong, Georgia. one 888 I got a communism story I want to share next. And then uh, the difference between tolerance and intolerance in this crazy world we live in. We've got all that coming up. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.